This is Brian Billick, and I'm joined by my partner, Danny Green. Welcome to the Coach's Show podcast. Here we go. Well, Denny, it's been a great couple weeks with the divisional round and the championship round. Let's begin with a couple just general observations. Let's start with the fact that uh, both teams, the home team, lost in a championship game. That's a little unique uh, in that the quote-unquote favorite or the home team, the top seed, uh, both lost the first time both road teams uh, uh, have won the conference championship since 1997. You know what? But this also falls right in line with this this idea of a team going on the road and the wild card. I mean, the Giants did it, right? and then Green Bay did it, and it's like, what gives? Well, I don't know. I guess so loose. I mean, Baltimore just came in loose. They had beat New England. They felt confident in New England. As you know, you coached at Baltimore for years. You've always felt that your guys are ready to play in these big games, these big games against Pittsburgh, these big games, you know, against New England. I think that's the mentality of Baltimore and their ability to, to do that, to go on the road, and to take down two giant quarterbacks, you know, uh, defensively to keep the score low and to give themselves a chance to get their offense going. And I made the point last week that Baltimore, the advantage they have, even though very respectful of Brady and Belichick, they weren't afraid to go into Foxborough. No. I'm not sure there's a lot of other AFC teams. I'm not sure had Denver been able to hold on to the win like they probably should have at home against Baltimore if they could have gone into New England with the same kind of confidence Plus, I think Baltimore went in knowing that defensively they've gotten healthy, they got healthier, uh, and, and that they could play a physical style of play that New England just wasn't up to. And, no. and, and then in the NFC game, you know, again, we keep coming back to the quarterbacks, and this is a quarterback-driven league. But in both instances, San Francisco and in, Green, or in uh, Baltimore, these are the two best defenses in those conferences. And notwithstanding the quarterback play, it's those defenses the reason they're playing in the Super Bowl. And those defenses gave the offenses to get on track. Both of the offenses started slow. The defenses gave up some points, but then the defense tightened up, stiffened up, start being physical, and gave the offenses a chance to, to turn it loose and crank a little bit. And then both offenses, both the 49ers and Baltimore, start making plays. Yeah, it's, uh, and I think that, that, was, that is what distinguished not only these two teams and where we are as a league, because the last couple of years, let's remember, even though they may have gotten hot when you're talking about the New York Giants last year, you're talking about the Green Bay Packers, they weren't great defensive teams. They were good defensive teams that got a little bit better. But over the last couple of years, at least even statistically, these weren't necessarily dominating defense. These are two dominating defenses particularly, and we'll talk about it in a little bit with regard to Ray Lewis and where he is right now and and the way things have kind of fallen for them. But again, I come back to those defenses and the way they're playing compared to the two teams that they played. By way of example, we we were talking about San Francisco versus uh, um, Atlanta, and we'll go into detail here in just a minute, and then also with uh, Baltimore going into New England. Both those defenses, I'm talking about Atlanta and New England right now, were really more about scheme than right. personnel. They, their coaches did a fabulous job and have scheme-wise, but there's no question that the personnel of the Baltimore Ravens, because you're talking Haloti Nada and Terrell Suggs and then Ray Lewis with Ed Reed on the back end, and in, and in San Francisco you're talking about uh, 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 Austin Smith and, uh, excuse me, Justin Smith and, 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 and uh, Alden Smith and Patrick 
Willis, Willis and Navarro right. Bowman and Deshaun Golston and uh, Whitner. And I mean, that's versus the, you know, Atlanta that just, other than a hurt John Abraham, you don't even know who those guys are. No, and I think that was also part of this issue. There was never any pressure on Flacco, there was never any pressure on Kaepernick. And so both those guys, when they had to start making those throws in the second half, and they were taking big throws. Now, when they had to make those throws, they were able to make those throws without pressure. Brady from the shotgun on second down. Steps up, fires to the end zone, and it is intercepted! Intercepted by Kerry Williams! And the Ravens are going to the Super Bowl! Let's, let's talk about the games and going forward and spin it just a little bit forward. It's Baltimore, you know, obviously tale of two halves in the first half, uh, a little like the, the the NFC Championship game, it looked like it was all New England. I don't know if it was overpowering New England, but Baltimore couldn't seem to get out, you know, uh, uh, off off track, so to speak. They couldn't get anything going. They got pinned down a lot early. Right. And New England was moving the ball decently, came away with three instead of sevens, and that's a death knell, clearly. But in the second half, it turned. And the physicality of the Baltimore Ravens, they had a little bit better field position. All of a sudden, Joe Flacco opened it up. He was thrown on first and second down, two drives to take them the length of the field. And at that point, it didn't like there was just no turning back. There was nothing that New England could do defensively or offensively to get it back. Well, I think Baltimore played with so much confidence, and I think that confidence was portrayed in how they called the game. And keep in mind, New England punted the ball three times in the first half. When did they do that? And they kicked two field goals in the first half. I mean, they're normally on the field, stayed on the field. They would get a couple first downs and then have to punt. They'd get a couple first downs and they'd have the punt. Meanwhile, Baltimore was taking over the ball on the 10-yard line, the 15-yard line. They weren't doing much with it. They'd punt again. But I think the confidence in the defense that Baltimore had is ultimately what did in New England. That and, uh, By then, the second half starts in, and now they're not only just keeping them out of the end zone, they're literally shutting them down. And, and they're being physical with it. The run game was not there for New England. They were getting less yardage on pass plays. And all of a sudden, uh, they couldn't stay with them. I think it was the same thing even with, with Atlanta. I mean, the 49ers let them get up 17-0. to zero. I mean, it's like, okay, now, you know, we've been there before. 17 points. Now, keep, maintain the ball. Make your first downs. Get in position to score. Get three or get seven, you know, and, and keep it going. But all of a sudden, they could not move the ball in that defense. And at the same sense, the offense for the 49ers was starting now to really run the ball and really starting to have an impact running the ball. Yeah, with, with Baltimore and New England, New England's running game, which was much better this year. They were a top-five running attack. But you got the sense that it was a scheme running attack, that it was people configured themselves to take away Tom Brady and what he can do when he spreads it out. And so if you give him the run, he, they'll run it and they'll scheme it up. And, and they did very, very well, particularly when they would get a lot of leads. But I never felt the sense that New England was a running attack that could say, okay, if we got to line up and just run the ball, if we got to survive doing that, we, we'll do that. That's not the case. And and let's remember now, Baltimore is a team, too, that although they're better, they're still not. I had them against the Dallas Cowboys, which is where Ray Lewis got hurt. And they got manhandled by the Cowboys in terms of a big physical team. And we'll talk about what that means for the Super Bowl because they're now facing a San Francisco 49er team that can maybe do the same thing. Baltimore couldn't hold up against a big physical team that said, we know you know we're going to run and we're still going to run on you. Um, and and there's not they just didn't look real good uh, that way. But against a running attack like New England's, which is more scheme, more situationally oriented, Baltimore, you could see, was very comfortable. Okay, it's okay if we only have six in the box. You spread us out all you want. You're not going to be able to run on us with just that. We don't have to scheme up to stop the run. Our guys, and that, and that left New England 
spinning a little bit because now that typical running game that they'd had wasn't going to work, even though Baltimore's doing all the things on the back end they needed to to limit Brady. Yeah, but simply because New England had always dictated. Now, I just think they, they took advantage of some teams they played. I think they took advantage of some defensive coordinators that were not experienced. They made them jump through all kind of hoops. I mean, you, you see the highlights, and it'd be, um, it'd be ridiculous the type of uh, situations that were occurring. But Baltimore was not going to change their style. They were going to play the same way. They were going to be aggressive, playing man coverage. They were going to try to get pressure. They were going to shut down the run. And so, therefore, uh, at the second half, that the ability to dictate, which New England had been so good at, uh, make people jump through hoops, get them out of their game, they never could do that. So then there were no more plays. And when you uh, – and, again, a lot of people question, well, how good is Joe Flacco? And, and, obviously, his playoffs have been spectacular in terms of not turning the ball over. Um, the, the significant thing being that it looked like Baltimore recognized we're just going to have to throw the ball more in order to, to win this game. Especially on first down. Correct. And so they let Flacco go a little bit, and he was successful. And then once they got the lead that way, then they reeled it back in and because they are a good enough team with Vontae Leach at fullback, uh, the big offensive line they have. We'll hand the ball off now to Ray Rice, and we'll be just what I was advocating that, that New England can't be. If we got to just line up and play this little smash ball to bring some clock down, now we are capable of doing that, and that's exactly what they did against New England. First and goal at the five. Kaepernick in the pistol formation. He's got Walker wing left, takes a snap, does Kaepernick hand off the right goal, running right side, walks in, touchdown, San Francisco. Let's finish off. I want to finish this thought off with San Francisco and Atlanta because people are now questioning Atlanta. How could you let the game get away from you in the second half of the Seattle game, yet still kind of kept it on, on mm. just close enough to where the, Matt Ryan could bring them back to win the game? Uh, but they're up 17 nothing against the San Francisco 49ers. It was all Atlanta in the first half. And then in the second half, kind of fall apart. And, and some people are saying, well, what, what did you do defensively? How did you let this fall apart? And I think it's just a matter – I think Mike Nolan, the defensive coordinator for Atlanta, was brilliant in both games. Because keeping – at the end of the day, Atlanta's just not very good defensively. We just alluded to it. Listen to all the players that they have on San Francisco's team, from Willis to Bowman to the two Smiths to Golston, who they got in Atlanta. And right. I think Mike Nolan in both games – schemed his backside off and, and kept those teams off balance and confused in the two first halves. But at the end of the day, schemes wear out. Okay, I've given you everything I can, and it's worked real good. Now, offense, you got to win this for us because at the end, I'm done. I, I don't have any other tricks in my bag. And at the end of the day, we're just only so good defensively. It didn't catch up with them in Seattle to the point where they lost it, but it caught up with them in the second half where San Francisco was able. They were just a better football they team. They were a better team, and they were a better run team. And I think that run game took took its toll. It, it made it even more difficult to rush the passer. It put them in a situation in the red zone where the 49ers were scoring touchdowns when they were behind and not kicking field goals. I mean, if you've got that lead and you can force field goals, you still got a shot. But Atlanta couldn't force field goals. They were The 49ers were scoring touchdowns. Let's take a minute and talk about the common thread of both Baltimore and San Francisco, and there are so many, and we'll talk about the Harbaugh and the two Harbaugh's, obviously. But the two biggest things that jump out at everybody, I'm sure, are the two major decisions these two teams made during the season, and they were major. You know better than anybody. The two biggest thing you can do to shake the fiber of a team is to make a change at quarterback or one of your coordinators. Right. And, of course, San Francisco made the well-documented change to Colin Kaepernick from Alex Smith, who was playing very well, very efficient, managing the game very well. But they obviously saw something in Colin Kaepernick. And Jim Harbaugh did that at great risk. And then his brother, John Harbaugh, 
late in the season, changed offensive coordinators a little bit under a little bit different circumstance because they were on a bad slide here, all but for that that four, uh, third and, and 29 that they were able to convert in San Diego. They were on like a five-game run here where they, things could have fallen apart. And he fired Cam Cameron, the offensive coordinator. Those are two dramatic moves by these coaches that obviously have turned out well. Yeah, it really is. And, and you know, I think that when, when you're saying there's kind of that – fall of discontent. I mean, here it is November now, and things are not going well. Uh, very strong opinionated receivers, you know, going for Baltimore. Uh, the word is that Joe Flacco and Cam Cameron did not get along as well. Jim Caldwell gets here his first year. You know, Jim Jim coached me way back in Northwestern in the old days. He was uh, on the team when I was coaching in Iowa in the older days even. Great guy. Guys love him. All of a sudden, he does get a good relationship with Joe Flacco. And, and then when the players are saying, hey, uh, John, only you can do something. I mean, right. we are we. They put the blame on Cam, right or wrong. I don't think it should have all gone there. As you know, it's, there's always enough blame to go around. But the bottom line was that they felt that hey, unless we make a change, we're not going anywhere. And there's only one person that can do that. That's John Harbaugh's got to look at everybody and say, hey, I hate this. I don't want to do it. Cam Cameron's a great coach. We all know that, but I'm going to make a change. And you and I both have done that, and there's nothing fun about it, but it was a bold move, and it was a right move for the fact that all of a sudden the players offensively, you know, it's kind of like, hey, this is what we wanted. We got to show them. I mean, we can't act like it's it's Cam. So next, who's it going to be, Jimmy? I mean, so they, they really responded. They felt like, hey, our game is – Pound it with Ray and go down the field. Make them play man coverage. Make them go eight guys in a box. Make them have to defend the run. Give us some one-on-one so it can get open. As you know, now receivers will whine if they're playing combinations on us. Well, they're playing combinations because they don't have to defend the run. If they have to defend the run, then you're going to get singled-up coverage, and they want singled-up coverage, and that's what they got at the end of the season. Well, Ray Rice had 50 fewer carries on the season, 50 fewer touches on the season than he had the season before. So that was at the heart of where the disconsent for Cam Cameron came from. The thing that both these guys have done, and we've both been there, Denny, that the team, when they see you as a head coach, willing to do the tough things. Now, if it doesn't turn out well, you know, they're not, not, they're not opposed to going, well, coach, I didn't know you have to actually do that. But, but in both instances, part of both these teams feeling like we are a team of destiny and we'll do whatever it takes to win and we got the right guy leading us came from these guys willing to make the tough decisions and it's turned out well. So now that they're both in the championship game, both feel like they've got a guy, and I'm talking about their head coaches, that did the, did the tough thing made the tough decisions because the path of least resistance, clearly for Jim Harbaugh, would have been said, you know what, Alex Smith's playing pretty good. Why rock the boat? And for John Harbaugh, you guys settle down. Cam's not that bad. Yeah, we'll get it corrected. Take all more responsibility yourself. Correct. That would have been the easier way to go, but they made the tough decisions, and the players now feel like that's a part of, okay, we are a team of destiny because our head man was willing to make those tough decisions. Yeah, and, and I think with Kaepernick, I mean, Alex Smith got hurt. Kaepernick came in. If Kaepernick did not play exceptionally well when Alex Smith was ready to play, even if they won and Kaepernick didn't play well, Alex Smith would have been inserted. What happened is that everyone said, especially Jim Harbaugh, he's too good to be back on the bench. And so he rolled the dice and said, hey, we're going to stick with him. Now, that was tough. Even I, I, I spoke about it. I hate to have a guy lose his job because of an injury. Alex Smith was a great trooper. Everybody was positive about him. But the bottom line is, is Kaepernick was too good 
to go back to the bench. And Jim Harbaugh was correct in that decision. Um, let's talk about this matchup right now. First, two things. Let's back up. Um, let's talk about what goes on. You've been to a, a couple Super Bowls as a coach. I've been to a Super Bowl as a coach. And it's it's different. Uh, these two teams, it reminds me a good deal of our Super Bowl run because we came in as a wild card team, had to play the wild card game. We were a worn out football team. Thank God we had, you know, there have been some Super Bowls where there's no week in between. Now right. it's always that way. Had we not had that week off, I'm not sure we could have beaten the Giants because we were a tired football team. The Giants didn't have to play in the wild card round and had two home games. So they were in a different perspective, just like the Ravens had to play three games and everybody's talking about they had to go 80-plus plays against Denver, 80-plus plays against uh, uh, Indianapolis, then obviously uh, play uh, in the championship game against New England. San Francisco had to go on the road, obviously, to Atlanta. But the Raven, my Raven team in 2000 needed that bye week, and I got a feeling that this Raven team needs that bye week as well. And it's an interesting week. It's like, no, it's not really a bye week. It is in the sense that we, our approach was to say for three days, you guys go, go away administratively, we'll make sure you here's you can come back by the office and we'll tell your families this is how you fly down there. Here's where the rooms are. Here's the – get all that stuff done. And Don't those you, are – listen to the – you're going to have experts absolutely. here. Absolutely. They're going to help us listen to them, and we as coaches are going to go work on football. And you get all that taken care of, take care of all your aunt and uncles and this and the, and the travel, and you get all that personal stuff taken away. Don't worry about football. Get away from it, okay? And we have all the support people. Coaches are game planning because the one bit of advice I always got uh, from you and others was – Get your game plan and don't change it because you got two weeks. Don't don't you know? Uh, nature abhors a vacuum. So if you got two weeks to game plan, you could do all two weeks, but you'll confuse your player. You'll weigh yourself out. Use the three days to get the game plan. We literally did nothing more than walkthroughs when they came back for three days: Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Gave them Sunday off. Traveled down Monday, and then I actually used the practice in Tampa Bay. And New Orleans is even takes it to another because you don't get anything done. Right. The you know the families are there. The media is nuts. It's a crazy city. We actually use those practices. Say, look, you got the game plan. We got that part down. So we don't need to meet a lot but we're going to actually put the pads on we put the pads on they looked at me like i was nuts but at that point they'll do whatever you ask them Absolutely. to because you're in the super bowl get our pads back underneath us had a couple you know pound around practices or a practice uh get them physically back in tune because i just basically given them a week and a half off re you know retouch on the game plan and then go play because it's like two weeks you've never had before right and you know for, uh, 49ers i mean bill walsh had us wear shoulder pads doing a walkthrough once he says i don't want you to have to wear pads in practice we put them on for a walkthrough wow. you know just to get used to having sure. the pads on again but that that whole idea on being able to focus you have to be able to put things in compartments you know this is when you prepare now, this is when you travel. This is when you handle the meeting, all the things with it. This is when you practice. And this is when all the pomp and pageantry is over, guys. Regardless, this is the biggest game you're ever going to play in. And you're going to want to win. You're going to want to win the game. You know, you're going to want to win this game. This is not something you say you're happy to be there. No one's happy to be there now. Yeah. Baltimore and 49ers will focus on one thing. They want to win the game. Yeah, and if you want to enjoy New Orleans, I'll pay for you to go there in the offseason, okay? Right. So, uh, but the hard part is, and first off, I will say this. The league really does a nice job. Everybody will complain about the media demands and the distraction for the players. The league really does a pretty nice job of compartmentalizing that. The problem is the players bring it on themselves. They all have their own radio shows and their own contacts. And now in the tweet world, so they're, they're their own worst enemies sometimes during the week. And there's only so much you're going to do to control that. And you have to recognize that. The other thing was that uh, people you know, thought I was nuts. I didn't have a, a curfew during the Super Bowl week until the night before the game. I had, or I, sh- I should say, I had a curfew. I didn't have bed check. Right. Okay. Because, again, you didn't have all that during the week during the regular season. 
Uh, and you and I always know, you know, and you taught me that a long time ago. I had a real tough time knocking on a guy's door to see if he was there. <laughs> if, if I got to knock on a guy's door to make sure he's there the night before the Super Bowl, we got bigger problems than just whatever it is you're doing on the night before Super Bowl. Uh, and the players responded to that because it is, it's just a different week, and I don't know that you can really prepare them for it other than to have the, the, you know, the, the checks in the bank, as you always used to say. And I made that deposit, so I'm ready to make that withdrawal. Because right. during the weekend Super Bowl, it's just so crazy to keep up with it all. Uh, and no matter how you lay it out to the players, it's just going to feel different. So we just used it to be physically ready. Let's talk about the two teams. And we're going to do this forever and a day, a million times between now and the, the beginning of the game. Uh, but let's we're, we're, we get the first shot at it right here. Let's talk about how we think this game's going to stack up. Yeah, well, you know what? This is Harbaugh against Harbaugh, and they're, and they're pretty much the same. I think that, you know, Jim Harbaugh's background, of course, as being a quarterback in the NFL, liking to throw the ball, but boy, they're big and they're physical. They want to run the football. They've got Kaepernick who can get out and run the option, so they're running a little pistol option with it, half option, and then they have receivers that can make plays down the field, and so I think defensively, this is a team that, that can show itself defensively. They're going to be challenged more by the deep play capabilities of Baltimore, though, I don't think anybody they play have been right. that good at. I mean, it's a, Green Bay wasn't. I mean, this is a vertical passing attack off of the run that they're going to face. So that's really where Baltimore's strength is, the ability to, as I said, run the ball, make them stop the run. And once they stop the run, then Anquan says, Coach, nobody can handle me one-on-one. I overpower that guy. Smith says, Coach, I can go down the field and that guy one-on-one. And so that's what they'll try to do. So you're going to have two contrasts of teams trying to do the same thing. Both teams trying to run. Both teams trying to get force man coverage. Both teams trying to now say if we can make a play somewhere on the line in special teams. Yeah, they are very similar in that approach. Um yeah, Joe uh, – first, okay, you begin with the quarterbacks. Joe Flacco's got more experience, but he doesn't have more experience in the Super Bowl. Right. There is a difference. And Colin Kaepernick seems to be handling this very well, particularly with the assets wrapped around him. So if you look at that, you'd probably say Joe Flacco's probably got the advantage just because of the experience. But, boy, this cat Kaepernick, boy, this guy's different. And what he can do to impact the game, just like you said, the ability to run the ball. We've okay. seen him make all the throws, particularly in the way they've set him up. Um, I guess I'd have to favor – Flacco a little bit, but I tell you what, it is tight. I come back to just what you're saying, Denny. I don't think the Baltimore Ravens have seen this type of physical smash mouth in your face running style. I think we're going to see San Francisco back to a little bit more of that wing, two tight end, right. extra lineman. I'm going to beat you up like I saw people that had the capability of doing that, Baltimore. Like I saw the Dallas Cowboys uh, uh, when I did the Dallas Cowboy uh, Baltimore Raven game and physically maul you a little bit. Yeah, because I still don't think that is their strength necessarily. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to physically make you pay. I'm going to make you bring that extra guy down the box. Because unlike the New England game, you ain't going to handle with just a six- or seven-man box. Right. You're going to have to add that half-man, that, that full-man more, to stop my running game. I'm going to make you do that. And then Colin Kaepernick off the play-action fake. And it doesn't have to be the read option. I think just boot and waggling out. And let him make the plays to Michael Crabtree. I think Vernon Davis could have a big game. Randy Moss may have that just one or two big plays down the field. He gets out around the edge and runs. I'm talking about Kaepernick now. Uh, Delaney Walker as well and the combination they could use in their two tight end alignment. I think they can make it a very long day for Baltimore. Now, I will say this. The one advantage Baltimore will have, Colin Kaepernick having not played Ed Reed before. Ed Reed can – and I'm not calling Kaepernick a a rookie, but he darn near is a rookie. Right. 
Ed Reed can do some things that can make that kid pause. That's why I'm going to be very careful about using Kaepernick in the pocket just to make reads and throws down the field. I think the physicality of the defense that can make it a long day for for San Francisco and the ability for San Francisco to play smash-mouth football – might be the difference for San Francisco. Yeah, and, and I think what Ed can do, I, I think Kaepernick has got to be careful throwing in between the hashes. Yeah. You know what I mean? They, I know it looks it's made, it look inviting, and he's made a lot of throws down the middle, but Ed Reed's around there somewhere, and he's lurking there somewhere, and he's going to make you think certain things. And so I, I think it's going to be really exciting uh, to, to see that take place. And, and as we said, the Harbaugh, I mean, the brothers, they grew up together only a year, and I think 18 months apart. And so, you know, really different careers. I mean, I've known them both since they were very, very young. I used to work with the dad as an assistant coach back in the 70s and, and in, even in the 80s. And, you know, Jim was always the quarterback. He was kind of the golden child. Right. He was went to Palo Alto High School. He went to Michigan, you know, played for Bo Schembechler. Right. I mean, so everything was just kind of laid out for him. He went off had a very long NFL career. He played for Mike Dicka and so forth. And John is always a grinder. John was a guy he didn't have everything laid out in front of him. He was a grind. He went into coaching. He started grinding on coaching. John, Jim left the coaching or the playing career. Uh, spent some time with Al Davis. Al Davis really cut his teeth as far as a, a coach. Uh, got a head job at University of San Diego. Got took that to a head job at Stanford University. And and then you know the, when you can change jobs, don't have to move. That's always a good thing. Went from Stanford to the Forty ers Didn't even have to move. I mean, it was all kind of laid out for him. Where John has had about his way yep. as a special teams coach, an assistant coach in the college ranks. Both of them wind up there, but have the foundation for football from their dad, which is you know. Bo Schembechler, Jack Harbaugh probably spent 15 years with Bo Schembechler, which is run the ball, play action pass, throw the deep ball, play defense. And I think both of those guys are going to try to take their formula against each other. And as you've said it all the time, that nothing better than competing against your brother. Nothing we both better. have brothers, you know. <laughs> and there's just something about that. Yeah, you love them. And at the end of the day, and you're going to defend your brother to the death against somebody else. But you and me now, we're going to go round and round. And you got to know, and they're both competitors, and you got to know that you don't want to be the guy sitting at the kitchen table over Easter dinner where he's got the ring and you don't. The way you feel when you lose a Super Bowl is a bad feeling. I mean, it's like I say, somebody's going to feel great and somebody's going to feel bad. So it's going to be a great game. And, and, and uh, uh, again, just the styles and the way they match up, this could be one of the most physical um, Super Bowls we have in a long time. Just I want to close out with just a, a, a perspective. We just finished. We filled all the head coaching. We've been talking about this for a while. Uh, about the jobs were available. They are all now filled. And a couple things, obviously kind of interesting with some of the hires to see Chip Kelly come back in uh, now that he's with the Philadelphia Eagles and what that will mean in terms of that style of play because as we continue to talk about the Colin Kaepernicks and the Russell Wilsons uh, and their ability to now, um, what what they mean in terms of is this what people are looking for and the read options and all the things that we're talking about, not to mention RG3 um, and, and all that that portends, um, well, let's let's just start with that. Let's tra- start with the Chip Kelly hiring and some of the other guys that have been hired now that all eight jobs are filled. Well, I think, you know, Chip did a great job at Oregon. 
Uh, he used what's called a spread offense. Uh, he did different things with it. They had phenomenal recruiting at Oregon. They had the best recruiting situation in the entire country, brethren, Texas, uh, Penn State, anybody with the support of, uh, of Phil Knight up there. And, you know, I mean, it's almost like, uh, I don't know, are we hiring Hal Mummy? I mean, it's, yeah, they make it seem like like this is the first time anybody has seen the spread. And so, I mean, Chip Kelly's not going to win at Philadelphia because he's no, more innovative than the other coaches. He's not going to be. He's going to have to win there because he has the ability to deal with the with the, with the the coaches, has the ability to deal with the players, has the ability to deal with the fans. And I think if there's anything that's tough on a head coach who has not been an assistant coach and seen how it works, it's that. It's that whole idea. Right. Other coaches, players, and fans, and the public, and, the, you know, it doesn't take very much to hurt your feelings. And so I think he's going to, as a, as a rookie NFL coach, now, some of the other guys uh, have been – Mark Tressman has been an assistant in the NFL for a lot of years. Uh, a surprise pick by Chicago. He'd been up in Canada for the last four years, but he's been but an a good assistant. Pick. I like yeah, that He's pick. been an assistant coach for years. He was, of course, in, in Minneapolis around there when we were there. Uh, Mike McCord became the flavor of the, of the month. I mean, he coached Peyton Manning. Right. And we said this. You know, it's like, okay. And they said, well, you know, Mike is going to be very creative. And they're going to work both offense. They're not going to work both offense. They're going to run Peyton Manning's offense. Peyton Manning is not going to play 14 years and then go to a team and learn a new offense. And so, uh, you know, Mike McCoy did a good job of giving Peyton a chance to run his no huddle at the line of scrimmage. But but Mike became the flavor of the month, and he's in my hometown, you know, now of uh, of San Diego. And that's going to be tough because San Diego had a very good offensive coordinator. Right. The problem was. The offensive coordinator was, was the also head the coach. head coach. Right. <laughs> okay. And we know the pitfall. We've been you, talking about that all it, year but, long. But Norv was a very good offensive coordinator. It just didn't work out for him as a head coach. And now, the expectations for Mike are going to be, okay, we're going to see all that stuff you did in Denver with Peyton Manning. I don't know that that's what you're going well, to see with Philip Rivers in San Diego. Well, you know, he hired Wiesenhunt's going to be his coordinator. That was a smart move. I was, I was surprised and I was glad to see that he's brought in an experienced uh, coordinator, Reason Hunt was running the offense with Arizona, and and they were using a lot of the spread things, getting the ball to Larry Fitzgerald and so forth. So I, I think that that will uh, you know work out pretty good. Bruce Arians, yes, you know uh, was the last man standing. I right. mean, he was the last one to get an interview. He was the last man standing. Arizona was the last team standing, and there was I guess out of seven guys that had eight guys who had been mentioned for head jobs and so forth. Bruce was. Eighth man there, and so Bruce got the, the the Arizona job. Who did Bruce did a great job, as we know, for Indianapolis, uh, stepping in for a coach, you know, who who was sick and and had leukemia is back now, and so he's gone off and cut his chops. So I think it was very unique. But what's disappointing is that there are no minorities that right. got that got a job. You know what I mean? And and I think that you know as a guy that coached for a ton of years in the National Football League and had plenty of opportunities. You and I both like to see assistant coaches get chances. Marvin Lewis worked for you. You want to see Marvin get a chance. Uh, You work for me. I want to see you get a chance. Tony worked for me. Get a chance. And you always want to give these guys an opportunity. And, And I just think it was unfortunate that somewhere along the line, that some of these assistant coaches who have done very well, Ray Horton for Correct. Arizona did extremely well, that didn't get a chance to, to cut their chops. And I think, you know, a team like Cleveland maybe, and I think Ray's going in there, I think, as a defensive coordinator. Yes. So I, he, I think he impressed him in the interview. He just didn't get the job. And in my opinion, you know. Well, what clearly has to happen, and we've both been in this position, and, and, and I've always said, 
you have an obligation as a coach to do for the others what has been done for you. There's no way I could ever repay you for what you did to help me become a head coach except to do that for my guys going forward. Uh, uh, simply as that's because that's what you did and that's what was done for you. The difficulty for the league going forward with regards to minority coaches is we all know that the conduit to become a head coach is going to be at the coordinator. So the question that shouldn't be, why don't we have more minority head coaches? The question needs to be, why don't we have my, more minority coordinators? Even a number of the minority head coaches that have been in the league haven't had a lot of minority coordinators. And you need that question needs to be put to those guys saying, well, what is it we need to do to provide that more of an opportunity for those guys to become the coordinators? Because that's going to be the conduit. And the league has done a number of programs trying to facilitate this. But at the end of the day, uh, uh, minority head coaches that don't have minority coordinators need to give some guidance as to what is it we can do with the other assistants that would make them more viable candidates to get people to want to hire them. Uh, and that's because that's going to be the conduit going into that for, you know, for, for forever in terms of that's the normal way that you go. And the league also has done a number of things for a while. They, under Bill's direction, really, Bill Walsh had a number of programs in the offseason that kind of put ownership and, and assistant coaches together. Right. Ostensibly, the idea to get them to round these guys to be more comfortable as the pool going forward it worked out well for a while. And Mike Tom is a perfect example of a guy that that proved a conduit to becoming a head job, head man. Um, but they've kind of gotten away from it. Uh, didn't think it was that productive. It takes a lot of time and energy and finances to do this. They've kind of got away from it. Probably need to get back to that a little bit right. and retouch with those types of things as they go forward because it is important, and I know it's important to the to the league as well. Well, that's going to do it for the Coach's Show podcast. You can download the Coach's Show podcast from iTunes or go to NFL.com slash podcast. Also, be sure to catch the Coach's Show on the NFL Network every Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for listening.